With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Writers, agents, and publishers, for the first time since the Gutenberg Press, find themselves lost in a maze of mystery as technology alters the shape of the publishing industry. Searching for Answers is a group of writers throwing pop culture, writing, and publishing into a crucible of clarity, passion, and humor. This group is the right pack. Welcome back to Right Pack Radio. This is your host, David Allen Lucas, author of mystery, science fiction, horror, and poetry, and often combining all of them. And with me today is my co-host... Kathleen Kayembe, writer of Paranormal Romance under the pen name Kaseka and Vita, and all-around general madwoman. Fedora Amos, I write Victorian whodunits such as Jack the Ripper in St. Louis, and I'm president of Greater St. Louis Sisters in Crime. Brad R. Cook, I am a YA steampunk author, and my debut novel, The Iron Horseman, comes out in November. Check it out. And uh, I'm also president of St. Louis Writers Guild. I'm Melanie Claney. I'm a writer of science fiction, fantasy, and nonfiction. And today we're going to talk about a very important topic in writing, one that you wouldn't think would be too difficult to do, but it might be more applied to nonfiction, but it applies equally to fiction, and that is fact-checking your writing. That's right. We are talking about how to locate facts, or when you don't, when you've located the wrong facts, what happens. So, why would a fiction author, I would say for, <laughs> for Dora and I, it's pretty easy since we, we write mysteries aspects, and my sci-fi wives, yeah, you, you got fact-checks, but what about other styles of writing? Why would you, why, why bother with fact-checking? It's all fiction, right? I have a question about the type of fact-checking we're talking about, because uh-huh. I've, I've seen, like, copy editing is one kind of fact-checking, but then there's stuff like, um, I think, the TV show Castle shows brilliantly. Like, why would he know how many corpses go in such and such a place at such and such a time, you know? That's the That's second one is what we're talking about. Awesome. Yeah, let's leave the words alone today. I don't want to talk about words. We're going to talk about all kinds of more fun stuff, like research. Oh, is, I, yeah. I just saw a rerun of Castle. This is just an example of a story that was okay they left it in but it was something that I'm sure they knew it was wrong but it was something that fact checking in an early draft might have been able to avoid Uh, Castle and Beckett are on the run from the mob Mm, and um, they've lost their wallets and guns and cell phones and uh some, one of them, I forget who, I think it was Beckett, broke a car window and grabbed somebody's cell phone out of the seat. But it's password protected. So Castle is trying to find out the password just by typing in words to try and gain access to the cell phone so they can call for help. Now, there's something about cell phones that if you have a cell phone, you might want to pull it out and look at it. This is why, you know, back checking would be real easy in this point. You can call 911 on a cell phone without knowing the password. Are you serious? <laughs> yes, I'm serious. Like, yes. You can. I've done it. 
I want to try that, but I don't want to be troublesome to the police. <laughs> well, if you put on your smartphone and you bring up the password screen... Y'all are missing some demonstration right now. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I need to... I have... Uh, so okay. anyway, uh, if I can figure out how so to get my... If, so when the numbers show up to say, like, enter the password properly. There's this little word that says emergency. That I've never seen before. That you before. can press, Imagine. and it will allow you to dial the emergency number, but nothing else. Oh, so you can dial 911, but nothing else. Yeah. And awesome. right there, everybody, is one of the reasons why you fact-checked your work. Because I immediately thought when I saw that in that episode, why aren't they dialing 911? Well, and also, too, with, with writing mysteries and so forth, anytime you get something wrong... You let's, lose let's credibility. Say, yeah, you lose credibility. Your your audience are not idiots by any stretch of that imagination. Most uh, sci-fi um, fans... And, well, most sci-fi fans tend to be... There's a lot of engineers that show up at fan conventions, usually having created some interesting interesting costumes out of things which I can't even imagine how they did it. Magic. Yeah. <laughs> You've got, for mystery, you've got people um, who are in the background, so... More than that. Where do you... Well, let's, let's, let, let me pull back. Mysteries of... Where do, we, where do you start your... Where do you start? Or when do you start checking your facts? Before you that. write them. Okay. <laughs> do you always... Writing versus pantsing, though. No, but for instance, if you're writing a book where your main character is a pastry chef, the first thing you would do is look into the world of pastry chef just a little bit. But, like, um... For basics, I feel like that, yeah. But like, that's what, what I'm talking the, about. Okay, so like, different than in the middle of writing, I am putting a hashtag here because I don't know what this is. I will check that later. Yeah. Okay. Like, what gun should I use? Put it. Don't say which gun it is. Say, you know, put gun and then make a note. You need to research what kind of gun would be appropriate. And not get lost on the internet. Yes. And that's especially important if you do westerns because yes. many people who read westerns, in fact, I'd say that vast majority of the audience know a lot about classic guns and they will oh, drill yeah. you on it. Well, a few weeks ago we had Judy Ridgely on who writes historical stories set in ancient Rome. And same thing, what you're talking about, there's people out there that will call her on errors that she would make in writing anything about Roman legions and so forth. Brad, you were going to say something a moment ago. We've got to go on. I have a question about fact-checking. Okay. Um, because Stephen King, in one of his short stories, I think it was in Nightmares and Dreamscapes, like the first one or one of the first ones, there is a man who seeks vengeance upon someone else and uses construction equipment and um, a lot of hard work to make it happen. And King says, when he introduces a story, I have botched things, I botched important details on this on purpose. My brother is a genius, he showed me how to do it, I don't want anyone repeating this. No, see, that's a difference. There's a, there was the final episode of Breaking Bad, Mm -hmm. a whole lot of violence happens. While it might be theoretically possible to commit the violence committed in the final episodes, not the way they showed it. I don't think you could ever make meth based on what you saw on Breaking Bad. I don't think they, like, built some machine gun device, whatever, to mow people down in the final episode of Breaking Bad. Again, while that might be possible to do, the way they did it was, I think, purposefully, uh, not only wrong, but purposefully wrong. That's slightly different. That's making a choice to be inaccurate. So, but in order to be inaccurate, you first have to know it will be accurate. Yeah. And so, here's my, here's my question, going with what you're saying, Kathleen. Mm-hmm. Where do you start? I mean, 
Okay, I'm I'm gonna go with myself, and I'm gonna talk Fedora. I'm grabbing you and throwing you into this little thing. Let's say we're writing a story, and we're talking about how to kill somebody with pills. Okay. What kind of pills are you using? And That's why is number the person one. trying to kill themselves with pills? Number if the two. person is even trying to kill themselves with those pills, what are the pills actually for? Are they the pills the person thinks they're taking? What you're not seeing is do me counting what you're saying. It? <laughs> How did they get access? Like, especially for stuff. Sorry. For no, this, you're on target. This is, thank you. <laughs> these are questions you need to ask, now, and there are plenty more. For a mystery, for example, there are certain things that wouldn't kill a normal person, but would kill someone with a pre existing condition. Mm. So, since you're the god of your universe, do you want to, for example, make your murder victim have a deadly peanut allergy? In which case, they could be killed simply by some peanut oil. In which case, why was there peanut okay. oil on their medication? Okay. If it was medication, right. and who knew they were allergic? Yeah. So let's go back. And had access. Mm-hmm. So where do we start with the, with the research? I think you start with love. What okay. can I tell you? Start with love of whatever the setting is that you want to explore. In my case, it is pre-1900 St. Louis. And my background for that was that I had already done historical characters, real ones, as presentations for the <clears throat> excuse me, the Missouri Humanities Council. And so I'd already done research that sort of brought me up to that time. And when I got to that time, I found, wow, this is so perfect because the late 1890s was so very much like now with its wonderful changes that happened faster than people could keep up with them. And bad things and good things all going, crunching against each other constantly. So I loved it. And so I think you ought to start with a love, Dave. I agree. And that's why I've come, That's why my current novel that I'm working on is a com- combination of really a suspense PI story and science fiction, because I love sure. both. And talk about the research which I've had to do the story takes place first off on an O'Neill station. It picks up, actually, it takes place, part of it takes place on an O'Neill station. O'Neill station? Ah, thank you. An O'Neill <laughs> class station or O'Neill class cylinder. Picture, if you've ever seen Babylon 5, the the space station in that is an O'Neill class, but smaller than what than Ray was supposed to be. Picture, if you will, a cylinder that is 5 miles wide and 20 miles long. Inside of that... If you want to do a little quick math, you can roughly fit in the size of St. Louis County, not the city, but the county of St. Louis inside of there, where you are, you literally will look up, be able to see clouds, and beyond that, it would be like you're flying as you look down at another part of a city. So you will see, so you got different elements. It rotates at a speed that can be controlled. And usually you can do close to Earth normal. You that also would be on the outer cylinder. As you go towards, towards the, the middle, center, gravity gets less. It uses centrifugal force. And there's a whole lot more to it. Also, too, changing to my other part of it, the other part of the story takes place on the far side of the moon, where the actual murder occurs. And there's blood. How does blood act in a roughly one-third gravity... Um, in a near vacuum. In a near vacuum, stuff like that. And now, how? where do you research? Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. But you're, you're missing. You're missing the hand display that Fedora is doing. <laughs> but let me bring up a very important point. 
science fiction, even though, and even fantasy, but especially science fiction requires a lot of research. You say, well, it hasn't happened yet. We don't know. Nuh-uh. Physics doesn't change unless there's something about physics. Well, okay, physics doesn't change. Our understanding of physics changes. So, for example, uh, most sci-fi, there's some way of going faster than light. Right. We don't know if there's a way of going faster than light. We if the, There might be. And if there is, people theorize different ways it could happen. So we need to pick a way. And guess what? A whole lot of other people have already come up with possible ways that may or may not work. Okay, going with going with your aspect there with science fiction, let me throw out all science fiction up until roughly the 2000s was all speculative, unknowing, because we really did not know. We suspected there should be, but we really did not know there was planets around other stars. So following the laws of physics and astrophysics and how planets are formed and so forth and what we know about our own Earth... You can speculate what they might be on another planet. Okay, so anyway, um, what about poisons and that? Word? Don't, have you ever called the pharmacy and said, hey, Kevin, what would happen if you drop? I have a book called what the book of poisons. If you give a person chocolate versus a dog. And if I have a question, I what call Lucy Zare, the poison lady. There. Wait, what? What's, 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 yeah. Say this again, please. Oh, yes. Lucy Zare is quite famous in writer circles as being the poison lady. She Howdy. lives in Texas. Ooh. She often speaks at uh, writers' conferences of one kind or another. You've probably heard her, haven't you? Uh-huh. And she is absolutely fascinating. She spoke at Malice Domestic this year, and uh, she's just fascinating, telling about how all the plants in your backyard are lethal. Mm-hmm. I like her already. Uh, yeah, read Actually, if you're looking for a really name. good resource for poisons or anything to do with that, the CDC's website yes. literally has a breakdown of every disease, every known pathogen out there, and its possible implications to this planet. Wow. It's a great resource. Also, they, go ahead. Do they address zombie apocalypses because now they everybody's big They do. That? Really? <laughs> yes. yes. Oh, my gosh. Also, too, a few years ago, this book is now out of print. But the Writer's Digest had a book on poisons that made it pretty easy for anybody to understand, and you were able to cross-reference it by what symptoms and how long you want to let the person suffer and all that, and gave you case studies, too. Another resource that we just need to mention is experts. We've already mentioned one, mm-hmm. but uh, frankly, most universities... Uh, if you approach them in the right way and aren't obnoxious about it, especially if you have a, a thing with this university. So, for instance, if you're a student at the university, you don't have them as a teacher. You, you don't need to do that anymore. With the internet, all these publishers, all these, uh, all, no, no, all these professors have published and published and published and published. Go read it. It's all there. You can find out their theories. You can read it for yourself. There's it's a, a wonderful, wonderful a resource. You don't that. have to touch a person in real life or see them. Or bug a university professor who or really doesn't have enough time. Or talk to police officers I, who... I will say one thing, though. Sometimes there's too much. You don't know. You need a place to start. Mm-hmm. And asking other writers... Well, that's true about all research. There, you're always going to run into a ton of research. And knowing how to filter through that research is an important, important skill to have. Yeah, and I'm saying sometimes an expert can really, you know, you're not asking the expert, hey, what about this, this, and this? You're asking the expert, hey, I want to learn about subject X. Can you recommend some references for me? How do you go about um, approaching people? Because I've heard of uh, mystery writers who will uh, 
not necessarily ride along with police, I don't think, but I know like... No, you can. Like an email. Yeah. It's, it's an email. I get them all the time, actually. Yeah. I ha- I've been contacted about, you know, various things having to do with uh, St. Louis history of the literature nature, you know, authors who've lived here, uh, most recently by a professor who wanted to know about uh, Faulkner's letters to a professor at Wash U and the, you know, everything that was going on back then in terms of the, the culture of the time. If you want to going to a cafe level, which is like using cops as an example, yeah, it's, um, it's easy enough to do. But one thing you need to make sure that you do is one, yeah, you can do a ride along that's actually allowed. Um, you arrange it. Usually, most ride alongs are done by other cops from other um, precincts slash districts slash whatever you want to call them, municipalities, whatever. It varies by state and by city. Um, number two. Anytime. Citizens. Citizens ride along. So, well, Citizens Academies, which I've Network. been to one. Yep. And uh, you find out lots of nifty stuff. And you make good oh, yeah. Okay, what's a Citizens Academy? <laughs> Thank you. Oh, my gosh. Great. I'm going to let her answer that. Then I'm going to go back to my other thing. That's what's like. Go ahead. Well, many municipalities, there are several here, including St. Louis County, including Frontenac, uh, and uh, Creve Corps, there are a lot of different ones that offer brief police academies, and they are on evenings, like one or two evenings a week for four to six weeks. Hmm. And they will address different topics. And, of course, their overall goal is to make connections with the public and to get you to work with them and to understand what they're trying to do. And so there will be different classes on on drug enforcement, for example, and one on firearms where you get to shoot a gun and there's a ride-along and, oh, you get to try frisking a guy to see if you can find a weapon on him, you know, that kind of thing. That was fun. That sounds fun. Like, there's practical experience yes. uh-huh. after the beginning book and, you know, I recommend it. theory Go. research. They'll have yeah. some this, this fall. Go out and take Yeah, one. definitely. That's the whole point of writing what you know. You know, you should always know what you know. So if you don't know it, go learn it. Right. And if you don't know this, you know, if you don't know about physics, go sit in a physics class for a while. Or if you need to talk to somebody humanism, I'm going to bring this back to the other point I was going to say. It doesn't matter if you're talking about talking to a cop, you're talking to somebody who works at NASA, you talk to somebody who's whatever you whatever you want to research. Wanna know what type of sword should be used in a certain type of medieval high fantasy you're working on, I don't care. This, this comes down to it. When you get ready to talk to somebody, most times people love talking about their job or their hobby if you show interest. Two, and if you are polite about it. Three, have your questions planned out in advance. You may have new questions that come out during the interview that you're spending time with. Hey, life happens. That's to be expected. They may open up a new door that you didn't think about. Thanks a lot. Which is a good thing because that means you didn't know everything. But this is a chance to talk to them. But be prepared. And finally, be flexible with that person. Credit them in the book. That's my next one, actually. Um, Be flexible. Be able to work to their time frames. Or if they don't have time for you to physically sit down and talk to them, maybe they have time to make a phone call. Or email. Doesn't matter. Um, if you're going to talk to various institutions, and what I mean by institutions is hospitals, police, fire departments, FBI, NASA, whatever, 
there's usually a public relations department you want to get in touch with first. So in other words, if you're investigating a homicide and you don't have a homicide detective friend, you may want to call the the, um, public assistance area first. Um, Next part is give them credit, as Brad just said, give them credit in the book. Even unless they say they don't want their name out there, be polite. Let them know, and so, don't give them the credit without asking if you would like yes. credit. <laughs> yeah, don't, yeah, definitely. Ta- yeah, definitely. If you're talking to an undercover cop or a mobster, you know, it, you try may not, not want to put that out there. Try not to jeopardize anyone's life or career. Amen. So, I'm and guessing- it's easy to jeopardize their career when you don't realize it because there could be something like they told you completely factual stuff, but you've been you took it to a fictional direction. Then all of a sudden, their boss thinks they are showing poorly on the department. So, yes. you know, they might want to read the book before they decide if they want credit on it. Okay, so offer the chance then if you are interviewing anybody for information of any kind, like. Whether or not they want you are and are not allowed to use. Yeah, I'd let I'd say it's part of part of the interview. And say, hey, you know, you've given me such great information. Would you mind if I gave you credit on gave you credit in the beginning or whatever of the book of acknowledgments? You have words, Brad. No, your face has had words. I have been looking at them in your face. So, Kathleen, beforehand you were asking where to get going. Have we answered it, or is there something else? Mm, it's a theory and practice thing. Um, I guess I can find these things out in theory, but okay. what do you do when you like pick up the phone? To, I'm not great at Why don't phones. we pick a, pick a real example and then go through it? Do you have one? Brad. Well, first off, I would like to learn about publishing. Go with an email. Email first. Set your questions into the email. Make about five, no more than ten. Put mm-hmm. them in there. Make them well thought out, well crafted, well, you know, very intelligent questions. Ask politely, as David said. Put it out there. Just ask. You don't need to go through public relations. You don't need to go through any of that. Find them. There's usually most email addresses are listed in somewhere, and usually in company directories or different avenues that way. Um, but generally, if you need to, you can even call up and ask for somebody's email address or something along those lines. But more than likely, the person you're trying to reach, if they're a history professor that you want to know which right. ancient language was spoken back then, if it's a cop, you know, that you just want to try and get to the homicide department, you know, division, you can just send these people an email, and somebody will probably answer you back. And real quick with that, in the subject line of your email, make sure you make sure you're Putting something in there to indicate that you're not spam. Yeah, and will clearly also indicate you're a writer. Exactly. You know, clearly indicate this is for a book. Clearly state your purposes here. You, you know, you're not just going, make me an expert in firearms in 20 minutes. That's <laughs> not what's going to happen. But if you have a specific question, like, you know, what did they speak in, you know, yeah, the first ancient sentence. biblical you know, Jerusalem, what did they say? You know, that's a question you're going to pose. That's the that's the format of how the body of your email. The first and que- then move from yeah. there. The first que- the first sentence could be, "I am writing a book on blah blah blah." You know, I need more information on this topic. You know. Okay. So, because I'm using you as my, oh, I could use you too. I know that you have written a book called Jack the Ripper in St. Louis. I would like to know more about Jack the Ripper and his being in St. Louis at all. That's perfect. And then you're going to ask her, like, five questions about, Specific like, when questions. was he here? Where did he stay exactly in St. Louis? Maybe, who knows who, what the who, ten who questions are. Who he was. Are. Said he was. Though it doesn't matter. Which one he was. Which one he was. Yeah. will probably get back to you in a while. 
what would you not want to hear from me? Well, I would always love to hear from you. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like, I'm, I'm ailing to ask you questions. Like, what do you want me to have done beforehand so I'm not wasting your time? Because I am imposing upon your time if I'm asking for questions to be answered. Well, that probably depends on how busy I am. But I will say this. Last Wednesday, I went to a book club to perform, and I love doing those because the people have read your books and bought them, so yeah. that's really good. And uh, I let them ask, ask me whatever they want, and mostly they don't ask about anything in the book, oddly yeah. enough. Yeah. They ask, uh, well, how did you come up with that beginning, mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I would be surprised if you asked me actually about Jack the Ripper and didn't go to some other source, because you know that what I wrote is a fiction book, a mystery. Mm-hmm. And I know stuff about Jack the Ripper. I'd be happy to tell you, but I doubt that you'd come to me for that. So now, you'd no. probably be more likely to go to one of the people who's written the nonfiction novels about right. Jack the Ripper in, you know, America. Or go online and do the Ripperology thing. Yeah, Man, right. there is more there than you could possibly want. Um, I have. I went to another author's website one time, and she had a, a list of commonly asked questions and the mm-hmm. answers. And one of the commonly asked questions was, what resource did she use for writing? Uh, she had um, she had fairies, so a lot of Gaelic mythology in her Ooh. story. So, you know, what were her resources for that? So, And she listed the resource books that she used. I would want to know that for the Jack the Ripper, specifically in St. Louis section, because I don't really hear about that. I think the first I had heard about it was your book. So... Clearly, you knew thing, you knew things about him that I did not know, and I would want to know where you found them. And I can tell you that simply. It was from a man who most recently died, and his name was Steve DeBellis, and he was a stringer for the Post-Dispatch, and he wrote a wonderful article on Francis J. Tumblety as being Jack the Ripper. And we know that Tumblety died in St. Louis and was frequently here in St. Louis. Okay. Now, and then I would, would yeah, ask is if you ran across any signs of a ripper murder that might have occurred in St. Louis. Well, if, if in your research into this, and I know having now I'm playing, yes, I know her well enough to know that she's gone through Post-Dispatch Morgue and checked out all the past oh, articles. For those that don't know, Morgue is also, in addition to the definition that most people know, is also where they have their old back issues. Right. I do a lot of research through old newspapers, absolutely. I love doing it. And I can't read just the headlines or anything like that. I read the whole thing, and I love the advertisements. So you can call me, you know, really strange (laughs) on that account. So did you find any evidence of Jack the Ripper-style murders in St. Louis? Well, it's an odd thing. Because, yes, there were all kinds of of murders of one kind or another, but mostly they were not classified as murders because you must understand that in those days, policing was a very different occupation than what we think of now with all kinds of forensics and this and that and the other. As a a quick example, St. Louis Police Department adopted the Bertillon system in 1897, May actually of 1897, and the Bertillon system is really about recognizing criminals before they do anything horrible. And what it does is they they take measurements. They measure your nose. They measure your index finger. They they look at your eye placement. Mm -hmm. They measure all kinds of crazy things as though this would somehow help in determining who a criminal was. So that is the state of policing in those days. 
And what they mostly did was say that it was a suicide. Yes, I hit myself in the head with that with that hammer. Um, question, actually, just real fast for our listeners, and with everything about cops nowadays and so forth, how much how much of what did Fedora say sound awfully familiar to what's currently in the headlines and in the, all the papers and so forth on policing and on criminology and, and still profiling of various profiling types. and so forth. So it's still going on. Anyway, back to back eugenics to this. related or not? Mm-hmm. Um, because so, I remember that. Yeah. So anyway, you were going to ask a question. I just wanted to quickly say, hey, things haven't changed, and that's um, why science fiction works as well. As things don't change. People don't change. Stuff does. Yes, it does. The stuff we use to do the things people do. Yeah. Yes. Oh, so my question actually was then about policing. Because this is a different time, as you say. So, well, as you say, you just explain how. Um, they might not necessarily recognize. Or choose to recognize. That. <laughs> like, they would police have turned not a blind eye, but a very... Very distracted eye toward things. Well, let me give you an example. Would you like an example? Always. There was a farmer named Kress who lived uh, out by what is now Shetler Road. Had a farm out there. Six children and a wife. One day his brother comes over to the house and finds that everybody's dead. That all six children and the wife have been killed with a hammer and then the man beat himself in the head with a hammer three times and killed himself. Now, that solves the murder neatly, doesn't it? All wrapped up tight in a bow. Oh, nice yeah. and pretty and shiny and, and totally blood And who got the stained. farm? The brother. Exactly. Motive? Always found no. the motive means an opportunity. Oh, motive <laughs> yeah, means an opportunity. That's like another, you know, yeah. 30 well, years. Yep. But then, no, go back. No, the, no, no. From, the, yeah, you know, no, 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 the, the she's pills. talking about. The yes. pills, though. We were going over <laughs> motive means an opportunity. Uh-huh. And it seems like this is something that you would need... For anything, not just a crime in doing research. Well, that's the modern exactly. way of crime fighting. No, not just no, crime. he's no, talking about another topic, that. but yeah. yeah. But like, why does people want to do it? How can they do yeah, it? Yeah, it's a very and, important thing, right. which yeah. is why we focus yeah. on it now in terms of crime fighting. Why does this person want to go to university? Do they have the access? Yeah, How do why they do you write it? a book? Same, you can put the same things to it. I mean, that's why we yeah. use oh, it. This that's also, why police use it. This also applies to fantasy stuff. I mean, if you're writing an oh. epic fantasy and it's set in when a mystical world and they're riding horses all the time, you might want to learn something about horseback riding, you know. Now, let me go back to what Kathleen's talking about really quick. And time for me to toot my own horn. If you go out to the Writer's Lens, which is thewriterslens.com, and you do a search, you're going to find a blog about... The Murderer's Ladder. The Murderer's Ladder is something which I took from Earl Stanley Gardner, of some of the works written about the way he wrote. And what he had done, Earl Stanley Gardner not only wrote Perry Mason, as well as a lot of other stories, um, he also looked at, he was also a practicing attorney, and he looked at what was the motivation for murder. And I apply that to all forms of villainy. And I don't care if you're writing a high fantasy or a my, wet, uh, an urban fantasy, and so forth. Every one of your villains has an aspect of why they go the way they do, and this might be something you might want to look at and apply. We talked about that a bit and why villains are interesting, actually, yes, in we did. an earlier podcast. Because I was thinking, the Joker does things for a very different reason in the Batman Rogues Gallery than, say, Lex Luthor. 
Right. So how would you research this? Well, for the Joker, I would want to go into exactly how he is crazy. Like, because he revels in it. Uh He clearly knows something is wrong with him, (laughs) and he thinks it's great. So, people who... Go ahead, keep going. I'm going to say something after you're done with Joker. People who enjoy violent crimes, because those seem to be the type that he likes. Um, I would want to study what he has done already. Mm -hmm. What I know about the character, according to canon, that is the official... um, Bible. Yes, the official DC character Bible, mm-hmm. as opposed to fanon, which is what fans say about him, and that's a fan fiction term, and I won't go there right. for now. Um, let's see, crazy crime, Gotham, um, what he likes to do to anger people, specifically bat people, <laughs> and uh, yeah, what he would want to do would be very different from how someone like Lex Luthor, who has, well, he's Superman's arch nemesis, mm-hmm. and He's a super genius, and he's totally a human, and he has mm, grudges. He holds grudges, and being super, super, super filthy rich and also occasionally president of the United States of America, he can do things with those grudges that are bad. So going back to Joker briefly, and this can also be applied to Lex Luthor, apply this to any of your villains if your villains have certain, shall we say, psychological issues. Even if you're running in a historical time period in which psychology is not well known or well practiced, that doesn't it's mean hysteria. It's still right. They could call it as something else. The symptoms are still there. So where would I turn? Well, I might turn to the diagnosis book for psycholo- for psychology. Might be where I first start off. DSM five. DSM five. That's a new one. And then I might talk to a psychologist or a psychiatrist or an MSW. Um, which is a master's in social work. They also, their psychology. Um, that might be where I first start off and start digging there. What is a symptom? Let's say I've got a character who's schizophrenic. Well, most people think, and I'm guilty of using the joke from What About Bob, is roses are red, violets are blue, I'm schizophrenic, and I am too. That's not schizophrenia, that's multiple personality. So, how does a schizophrenic operate? What, what, what causes schizophrenia? How could you put this into your story that you're working on? There's where you begin your research. And right there, I probably started research online, and then started digging, and then got to the point where I would talk to somebody. That brings up another point. You need to develop critical thinking skills and some yes. sort of double checks to figure out what website, the relative validity of your website. So, how reliable is the website you're at? For instance, if you're on the CDC, the CDC can make mistakes, but it's probably more reliable than a blog. Not to say that a blog can't make things more understandable, more interesting, but you probably want to double check. A lot more fact-checked yeah. than a typical blog. Um, so who is, who is putting out the information? Oh, that's what do, important. What are, their quali- what are their qualifications? What do other experts in the field think of them? That's an actually an important one that sometimes from the outside is really hard to tell. Because someone can look like they're supported by all these people, but all these people don't have their qualifications to say that they're qualified. Global warming, John Oliver, done. Okay, yeah. I'm going to let Fedora go, and then I'm going to address your Lex Luthor. Because that's a whole different type of research. Go ahead, oh, Luthor. Okay. I'm, I'm going in a different direction. Okay, so let, okay, then I'm going to let you go in a different direction after this. Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor is supposed to be a Superman. Now, notice, I don't say... The Superman. He's not flying around in a cape. 
He is supposed to be the greatest of humanity. So where would I do that type of research? Nietzsche, the philosophies of Frederick Nietzsche. I would also look at, since, he all, since Lex Luthor is also CEO, what is the life of a CEO like, especially a high-power broker like CEO, the Steve Jobs, the all those levels? What, how much time do they have for themselves? What is always on their bookshelf. Yeah. Exactly. Or, oh, also, it's interesting, but with a couple of exceptions, most fictional characters, if it's said how much money they have, actually have less money than the real-life richest people in the world. Right. Also, too... What's being taught in the business schools that this guy would have gone through, or a girl would have gone through? Well, Lex Luthor's a guy. Yeah, I know. I'm bushes. using Lex Luthor, but I was like, wait a minute, I don't want to just say, hey, guy, just focus on men. We're using if you're doing Lex for right now, yeah. but it could be anyone, guys. Thank you. So, what kind of school would he have gone to? Would he have gone to Webster University's school business? Lex Luthor, probably not. He would probably have gone to Harvard. Or someplace like that. Webster's a local school. Yeah, Webster's it's awesome. Well, Webster's also international. Oh, is and it's a great school. But I'm, I'm just saying. Stuff. So where would I? So how would I look and see what kind of studies he might have studied? Pull up the syllabus for his degree. Would he have had only Harvard education, though? Ah, yes. Keep those questions going. Because and that's where you would feed from. He's he's super rich and has access to everything. So why would he be limited to Harvard, Harvard only? Yeah. Exactly. He, have, he probably also has honorary degrees from a whole bunch of other places, too. But, like, he, he could has, he has access to those people. Yeah, but he has access. The issue is, okay, so good place to start. Look up a real-life CEO. Look up their biography. Yeah. Look up where they went to school. It's their public resume. knowledge. But, like... LinkedIn. Roy helps with that. Go ahead. Lex Luthor always struck me as the kind of guy who would be like, here's a hospital wing. Give me all your information on this. I'm making a lab underground. That's not your business. But like... Yeah, but we're, what we're talking about is where would he have graduated from? So the official story. Yeah. yeah. Like, mm-hmm. And then going from there to the things that would be specific to him as a character. Right, right. because wh- who was it? A steep... Was it Steve Jobs or was it um, Bill Gates? Never graduated college. One of them. One of them. I forget which one. Okay, so don't quote me as an expert without looking it up. But uh, one of them again. But he had tons of actually practical knowledge about computers. So again, that's another type of CEO. He was a very engineering type of CEO. So depending on what the Lex Luthor of this story would be doing. Mm-hmm. Would college have been something he would have needed to do? Exactly. And would he have needed to do it for his education or for his credentials? Yeah, so if you have a fantasy, you're writing a immortal or a vampire or whatever, and they want to succeed in the business world, what kind of background will they need? Oh, they've been around forever, but what kind of background would they need to fabricate for themselves, or what type of things would they need to actually do to get credentials to do what they want to do? Can we pause on this topic really quickly, please? Okay. If someone has lived yeah, for... Yeah, because you're kind of way off on Luther's origins. That's Just okay. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Yeah. yeah. For the okay. big Luther fans who've probably been screaming for the last five minutes. I love you all. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about creating a character similar, not saying him. Yeah. No. Not like Luther. Just him, his type. Don't worry. But... Well, the point he, is, is that technically a lot of the research you've been talking about, you don't really need to do. Or more importantly, is going to be way specific to what you're doing in terms of your book that you're writing. So focus in on that. 
you know, in terms of how you're going to do that. Don't just come up with a fictional CEO of how it's going to happen. I mean, as you even stated, CEOs don't have to go to Harvard. A CEO can come out of anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's more create a character, yeah. do that, focus there. Don't just in you know if you're going to research everything under the sun, you're never going to have time to write. And it's more important and to get the words on the page. Point. Exactly, it is. get the words on the page, get the character on the page, and then fluff out that character, expand him out, build on him, make him better, make him it, want something. Exactly. But you know, if the CEO never did get a college, maybe his family couldn't afford it. He's going to have, that's going to be part of his drive, his backstory. So come up with that be, motivation yeah. first and then come up with a reason for that motivation. Yeah. But vampires. Okay. Something that bothers me about many books is that characters who are hundreds of years old, and this is on the young side of characters who live for millennia, think and act like modern day people. They what? have to to get by. Okay, well, think about someone... But only, like, modern-day people. Well, there's that's also no the way they're written now. Because if you look at, like, Lestat, you know, or some of the, the more classic, even, you know, Dracula, or some of the ways they go, they retain much, much more of the of their ancient selves, their previous selves, in the modern day yes. than sparkly guys. But you can... That's the problem. You you can tell that they have been places even if you don't know what those places and, are. And maybe Sparkly Guy was just obsessed with the fact that he'd gone through high school like a hundred times. I don't know. <laughs> you know. It would so, do him again. No, exactly. Actually, how do you research that kind of thing? No, you, you make a decision to start with and then decide which way you're going to go. So if you were immortal, you could be an immortal that's always in the present. You don't care about the past. You don't keep mementos. You're focused on the future and what you're doing now. That's historical now. research. If you want to know about being an immortal, it's historical research. I'm a historical fantasy writer. I write in the Victorian age. My book is, is in, you know, everything that happens within my book happens before 1881. And nothing, you know, I had to actually get rid of some shotguns out of my book because they actually didn't come up until the 1890s. And I'm in 1881. So I had to remove those and go back to a different kind of shotgun. But, you know, that's just historical research, and that's tailored to an era. Now, if you're an immortal character, which I've written before, then you start where he came in, the person he was when he, you know, first arrived on the planet. That that age is going to have an effect on him. And then you can either carry that through, or you can move it up, or if he goes out west and becomes, think of the Duncan MacLeod. Thank you. I've been uh, waiting. I've been sitting here with my tongue tied. Yeah, and, 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 yeah, and he could. Uh, uh, Highlander. Highlander. The TV show. Or, or, or maybe more, your yeah, immortal character has amnesia, that. so he only yeah. thinks he's 17. Oh, there is a book called Fledgling by Octavia Butler that is about a vampire. She doesn't know what she is because she has amnesia, and that's how you start. It's really good. Okay, sorry. <laughs> and then you were going to Well, I think this is getting kind of far afield from our original so premise too. here. Yes. And I wanted to bring it back with some very practical advice for, I think, any writer of fiction, mm-hmm. and that is... You have to have a map of your territory. And it can be a map in outer space that you create, or it can be a real map of a real place from way back when. I can't tell you how often I turn to the map of St. Louis from 1890, or from Peoria just this morning. I probably spent 10 minutes looking over trying to read the little bitty street (laughs) names on this map that I have from Peoria that I researched because my new book is on Peoria. Just for the young people that don't know, maps used to only come in paper versions. (laughs) 
But seriously, if you're looking for some really great ideas on how to research your novel, I actually wrote uh, several pieces for the writer's lens all about researching your novel. So if you have questions on how to do it, where to go, resources to look for, totally go there. www.thewriterslens.com Yep. Thank you, Brad. Hey, no problem. So that saves me an email (laughs) emailing you about the resources you used to tell me about researching. Yeah, but... Just, just for another practical example of where resources, uh, research could uh, often be useful, um, there's a Star Trek movie. I forget which one it was. It was one of the next-gen movies, um, Warps in Space. I think it was the one with purple blood, but I'm not sure. But he's in a space suit, and his space suit gets tied, uh, gets torn, and he yes. ties it off with a tourniquet. They just don't handle that well. Sorry, that's not what would happen in space with this with a spacesuit rupture. And uh, you can find out what would really happen. It wasn't that it hard. Be pretty, I'm no. sure. No, but how does it relate to plotting and pantsing? This Ooh, research. That is a good question. Well, I can give you a personal story how it relates to plotting. Please do. Okay, I I tend to sort of create my world and then my story sort of exists in it. Mm-hmm. So I I figure out the big things first. So it would be ideas and then figuring out how those ideas work. Um, so I have a spaceship. I make some basic decisions about what kind of spaceship it is. I still don't know how big it is, but you know, about generally what it looks like, about how many people are aboard. Then I have them go through it. I have some like practice plots or what happened. Oh, if this happens, what would this hap- what would happen then? You know, how do they shield? How do how does this technology work? How does that? Get some big questions and then do whatever real-world research I need to do to figure out I make sure I have physics, as in, you know, vacuum dynamics and momentum and all that, right? I cannot change the laws of physics. No? Nope. Yes, you can. Well, Because okay. it's Happy. fiction. <laughs> Douglas Adams proved it beautifully. Okay, you can change the laws of physics, but the thing is you need to know when you're doing it and you need to know, do it consciously. You mean doing it wrong because you don't feel like looking it up is not going to fly? Right. And the thing is, I like to keep it um, consistent with real world unless there's a specific, specific reason to break it. Because, frankly, it's easier to keep things consistent. A lot of these, if you're going to change the rules of physics, it needs to always be changed unless there's a special circumstance that only changes it. So the improbability drive in Douglas Adams' book makes the very improbable almost certain to happen. <laughs> So, when the improbability drive is going on, crazy things happen. But when the improbability drive is off, the crazy things, well, they still happen, but they happen less. But you have to stay consistent. And if you're inconsistent all through the book, unless you're doing things like Douglas Adams, because he's, the whole point of his books are they're inconsistent. Well, we forgive it's, him because he's funny. Yes. Exactly. It's, all, it's all part of it. He can do anything. To, to borrow, to, I'm sorry, I'm going to jump in. Yeah. If you, there's an interview with Gene Roddenberry. And Isaac Asimov. Gene Roddenberry and Isaac Asimov. Yes, this is for those. I don't imagine anybody listening would not know these two people, but just it's in case. Awful. Gene Roddenberry, uh, author of and uh, creator of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Isaac Asimov. Oh my God, science fiction, science, his history. Foundations you name it. trilogy. Yeah, yeah. He wrote across the spectrum. I Robot, which the movie was titled. But, <laughs> Well, while this love fest conversation was going on between these two men, uh, it's mutual respect love fest is what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. Um, Gene mentioned, of course, he's got a, he had a book of Isaac Asimov on his desk. It was always being updated. It was a book on where science is now. 
And Isaac always said to him is, you break the laws of science when you do it. He, he broke the laws of science, being done by Gene, doing it correctly, knowing he had to do it for the story only. He didn't just go out there and break the laws of science because Gene Roddenberry was researching before he wrote and as he wrote the stories that he was writing. You have to know the rules to break them. Yeah. Yes. So the movie Gravity, mm-hmm. it broke quite a few rules of space, of science, and, but it did it very intelligently, and it, yes. it, it really felt like the people knew when they were getting it wrong, and they did it solely for the purpose of the story, and they... Basically, the way she escaped wouldn't have worked for a few reasons, and they had everything in the same orbit, and all sorts of things are wrong. But the point is, you got the feeling that the people writing it or in charge actually knew when they were taking liberties with that. Unless you read Neil deGrasse Tyson's review of that movie, which is absolutely stunningly brilliant. Everything he does is. Well, he kind of lays into them for their complete inaccuracy in the movie. It was, it was, it was brilliantly done. No, but the point is... Yeah, there were a lot of mistakes in that movie. There really were. But it sounds <laughs> the like point. the point you're was going to believability. Yes. You could believe You can't them. mess with established fact. Okay? Right. You can't mess with established fact. You have to play within that universe. However, because it's fiction, because you're doing something else, you can play without that. Now, the research you need to do is to know that fact and then know where you can take it or push it beyond that or anything else. You know, research is something that shouldn't overtake what you're doing. The story should come first. Write the story. Put words on the page. Because then you'll know, one, what you need to research and what you don't need to research. You'll need to know exactly where the research is you need to be so you're not over here researching something that has absolutely nothing to do with your book. Now, sometimes the research will direct your story. Sometimes it's like, oh, that wouldn't mm-hmm. happen. That would happen. So it's like, oh, that would blow up. Hey, that will happen in the story. They'll do that, and it will cause it to blow up, and that will put my story in a new direction. Right. So I think one of the key things about writing, just in general, any type of genre, is to get details right yep. that bring things to life. And you can play around with a whole lot of other things exactly. if you get the details that bring your story to life right. Yes. Yes. And there are a few things, a few things always know. Like, you know, don't put clips in revolvers yeah, <laughs> or silencers on like yeah. You can't do anything so wrong that's going to pull a majority of your audience out of the story. Like putting a clip in a revolver. That right. would pull most people out of the story. So make it believable, and if it's not going to be believable, have a good reason for that. Yes. yes. Do it consciously. Don't do it because you're lazy. I think this is good advice. Yeah. But there are reasons, you know. So. Okay. So, do you re- sell the serum? Where do, what else will we discuss on researching? When does it go wrong? Um, I have a thing for that, and I would love anyone's opinion on how to not do what I do, okay. which is get lost on the internet, looking at all the fun and fascinating things. I, there's no cure for that. Oh my goodness! How? I'm, I'm pretty certain it's called YouTube or BuzzFeed or National Geographic or Wikipedia. The Wiki or, Game. You know any number of other places on the internet where you're going to go and just end up suddenly researching oh, yeah. the strangest thing ever that has nothing to do with anything you're ever going to write, but now it's possibly lodged in the back of your nev- brain and is not possibly in- everything is useful. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I know the names of, I can't even tell you how many horses from history. Really? When do I ever need this knowledge? I'm going to ask you. <laughs> it's one of those weird things that just kind of gets, you yeah. know, I was up researching, in there and it doesn't go away. I was researching goddesses 
because I was actually trying to find a goddess to model a character on. Ooh. And uh, yeah, I probably went a bit further than I needed to and went beyond what I needed to, but yeah. it's because they're fascinating. Exactly. I think you have to pick your time. That yeah. is, do everything in the whole day that you have to do. Start out with writing, of course, because that's the most important thing yes. you do every day. Amen. And then do all of your daily chores, and you go to work, and you eat, and you do the laundry. And then at midnight, if you still are awake, that's when you can... Um, you mean people your, actually so that's my midnight? problem. I put the yeah. research way ahead of all that other stuff. No, what <laughs> that tends to be what stops the writing. Yeah, yeah. what I do... The write, then research. I'm writing a fantasy, and all that stuff I'm writing a fantasy book right now. Mm-hmm. And for this one, I'm not researching until the re- not researching is getting away in the way of the writing. So I can't write any further until I research. Then I research the next thing I need to research. So I had to do some research first. So this is set in an alternate version of St. Louis. Mm-hmm. So I did have to do some general decisions about the geography of St. Louis, how it's going to be different. Maps. Yes. But then, now that I know how it's going to be different and where my main character lives, I can just say, okay... Look up the map quickly. Yeah, she's going east. Her high school is there. The coffee shop is there. So she's walking down Euclid, you know. So so. you got the ground rules done. And for this particular novel that you're writing, you're only going to do the research for the first draft as it is needed to continue. Right. So, for instance, um, that doesn't stop me from thinking about it. um, but um, That's okay. I can use any limiters you have. Yeah. So as someone goes by, um, one of my, there's an attempt at kidnapping. Mm -hmm. So I have to think. I have to answer any research questions for the attempted kidnapping before I write the attempted kidnapping. Um, My character makes ice sculptures, so when I show her making ice sculptures, she's not going to do it as normal people make ice sculptures. She's going to do it magically. But, you know, might you want to look into that just a little bit to see, you know, people are selling it, what their cause, what their prices are. Mm -hmm. You know, that type of thing. So, cool. That would be good then. Researching at night when everything else is done, mm-hmm. or not researching until it um, holds up the story. Yeah. Once you've started the first draft, let well, that there be. There are all kinds of things you're going to need to research. I mean, you yeah, might need yeah. to research what type of car that guy's driving, so you need to know that. Is you know, and you can plug that in and come back to it later, or you might just jump on the internet and Google, mm-hmm. you know. Awesome looking cars. I yeah, don't know. You can and use placeholders to avoid researching and tell the yeah, end. Yeah, the point is is to research when you need to research and don't let the research overtake the writing. The most important thing is for Dora and I have been saying is to write. You gotta get the words on the page or the story's never gonna get finished. You know, the research can be done in a, in a later draft, the research can be done right then. You know, how to like when to research is just about you and your time and how you want to main you know figure it all out. How to research is a different story, you know, and where to go, what to do, the resources to use, you know, start with the internet, because all of human knowledge is contained in one location. Come on, people. Um, you know, since, since the Library of Alexandria. Yeah, so, you know, these are the things. Research isn't necessarily some scary thing that we all need to be worried about. I mean, it's something we all have to do. We're all going to have to check out, fact check our books. Because we, we don't want the, the, you know anything completely wrong or bad in our books. That's what's going to take people out of your books. You want to make certain everything's right. And if you don't get every little detail right, well, that's what, you know, oh. yeah. you can come back and do reprints. Something, for instance, my, my main character was on the high school basketball team. So I had to look up the basketball season to see if she'd be playing. Because playing basketball would actually significantly impact the story during the story. So I had to know if basketball season was over when the story started. Let me go back no. to one thing with part of your question. Mm-hmm. 
one of the things you were talking about is also how to avoid being distracted by during yes. your research. This works for me. This this may not work for everybody. So take this with a grain of salt. Sit there with an egg timer mm-hmm. or a stopwatch of some kind, some type of timer. Give yourself an hour, for example, of time which you're going to do. Spend researching shotguns to know which shotgun was actually used in the story that you're working on. That way, you're a little bit limited on going out to watch a little girl or a little boy run around on a rifle range shooting a shotgun or anything else. You're going to focus it because you see time ticking away as long as you're true to that time. Go ahead. Or the, the as long as you're true to that time thing was what worried me. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some wonderful programs that if I use them, extensions to browsers would like kick me off all internet if I ask them to. Mm-hmm. So, uh, those, worth looking into. Right. That's all about you and your own personal management. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Another yeah. thing people yeah. do is sometimes people actually write with a pen and paper, like a rough draft, mm-hmm. because there's no internet on or Facebook on pen and paper. And you can also go to a place where you don't have Wi-Fi. But then you can do no research. The issue is how can you do the appropriate research and not get overdone. Right. No, no. Research is my favorite part of the whole thing, yeah. except for the actual writing the story stuff. So, <laughs> you know, I love research. I love doing research. I love, you know, checking it out. Mm-hmm. I love getting, you know, learning new stuff. That's what it's really about. So just go learn new stuff. Somebody once said being a writer means that you always have homework. Yes, you do. Yeah. And you're always curious about everything, which is exactly. wonderful. Exactly. Yeah, I wrote... I, once wrote a scientific paper with notations and actually references on a fictional disease. And some of my references actually really exist. <laughs> Somebody on Tumblr, I don't know who, but this person is amazing. And, um, yes. Someone on Tumblr broke down how S.H.I.E.L.D. would have, with our current uh, technology, unfrozen or thawed Captain America. What tools they would have had to use that are available today to do that. I love I love people I'm so much. You, I'm glad you said that. Let me go back just a little bit back to Joker and I'm going to let you guys go forward. <laughs> I meant to say this earlier. There have been a lot of psychologists and psychiatrists who have tried to diagnose Joker and they have not succeeded yet. So anyway, he has keep broken going. them. <laughs> He's broken them. Moving forward, like he did Harley Quinn. Anyway. Yep. So do you rely, when you research something, I don't care what it is, do you rely on only one source? No. If I don't care that much. If it's not that critical, I can. Only no, one source. you really source. should never rely on one source. Yeah. And never let that source be Wikipedia. No. Um, just, Wikipedia is a good starting point. It's a yeah. great yeah. Never use point. it as a primary source. I use Wikipedia all the time to confirm what I learned in college or high school and don't quite remember. And if it agrees with what I remember, I consider that confirmed. I agree. It's a good starting <laughs> yeah. point. It's yeah. a great starting yeah. point. But it's not a good ending point. Yeah. No. Mm. You should always go find at least one or two more. Be aware that deeper. a headmistress's middle name was never T-Rex. And Wikipedia once said hers was. Because people can edit that. Yeah. There's a because. story there. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> and I find with Wikipedia, you can trust, like, you know, I don't know, if you wanted to look up on some ancient language, you can probably trust a lot what's there. However, great with math never stuff. do anything celebrity or a person, you know, anything you look up that way, because that's all just bogus stuff. To borrow a phrase, regardless if you're looking at Wikipedia or any place else online when you research, trust, but verify. Mm-hmm. Always verify the information. But when I said about one source, for instance, I was looking up a name of an Egyptian goddess. Again, I think it's a good name, and I think it's a good background for her. 
but it really isn't that big of a character for me to care about. I can just use that name now. <laughs> you know. So as we get ready to wrap up this um, talk on research phase, going around, going in circles, up and down, around the drain. Much like my own research process. Exactly. <laughs> what are some of your last final tips that you would give in researching? Brian, I'm going to turn to you because you have done a lot of research. Then I'm going to turn to Fedora as well. Uh, well, obviously, I would say start with the Internet, and then it kind of depends on what you're researching from there out. I mean, there are too many resources really to go in right now um, in terms of where to go. Uh, but, yeah, just start off with your research. Start off with the Internet. Trust uh, nothing um, and verify everything. Amen to that. Get what? yourself grounded with a map, and not just a map of the location, but also of particular houses or particular spaceships or whatever so that you know exactly where they are or else you'll spend a whole lot of time fretting over what is what. So if you get it down and then follow it, you'll make your life a whole lot easier. Um, as a cautionary tale, I have a story that one of my main characters is based very much on the Pacific Northwest Tree Octopus. There used to be a website about that. It might still exist. Now, I know that the website is a joke, but a lot of people don't. <laughs> um, I would say the most important part of researching, in my opinion, is knowing how you work as a writer. Mm -hmm. Don't just be researching everything online or with other people. Research how you work best as a writer so that you get your writing done and the research but don't sacrifice one for the other. And I'm going to come up with one final thing. I'm going to borrow Fedora for a moment. Fedora talks about having a map and, and following the map. That map is also your story. Have a map of your story. Nova, in this case, your map may change by what you discover in your research. But if you know your story enough that you think you know where you want to take it, you think you know what the events are, and all you need to do is research some of the details, you're not going to go too far off the mark, and you're not going to go down the line of the drain of the weird stuff that's on the Internet that has absolutely nothing to do with what you are writing. And on that note, I'd like to say thank you for listening, have a great writing week, and talk to you next week. The Write Back would like to thank STL Books for allowing us to record in their bookstore. STL Books and Gifts is St. Louis's newest independent bookstore with an emphasis on fine literature for adults and children and the most comprehensive selection of St. Louis books available anywhere. Visit them online at stlbooks.com or in person at 100 West Jefferson Avenue, Kirkwood, Missouri, 63122. Tune in next week as the Write Pack will conquer yet another pondering issue in the writing industry. Theme songs for Write Pack Radio were written and performed by Meredith Tate. All copyrights remain with her. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.